It is a special privilege. It's always a privilege to teach God's Word every Sunday here. It is a it is a blessing for me to do so. Of something I look forward to to do, but especially to do so on our anniversary homecoming. Uh, it is a, a special a blessing for me. Um, I've only done it once before. Uh, usually, as our custom is, we try to bring someone in from uh, the past uh, to uh, be able to celebrate with them as well and how God is working. Uh, but this this son this time I wanted uh, to have that role. Um, and to bring the Word of God to you after 43 years. Um, we're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. We're going to follow uh, what we've been doing in 1 Timothy. And it, I, it's amazing to me how um, I was looking at Titus, and we will do a Titus, if the Lord will, at some point. But uh, as we read 2 Timothy 1, I think that there's a passage in here that speaks especially to us. Uh, on this day, and as we look at chapter 1, verse 1 through 7 especially, um, that is is very fitting for us. Um, 43 years um, is a long time. Those of you uh, who are younger than that would say, yeah, that is. Those of you older than that, maybe you wouldn't say that. Um, but I don't know. I, I think when you get to 43, there might be more people younger there than they are older. I don't, I'm not entirely sure uh, on that. But it, in talking to folks who study churches, they will say that uh, one of the best ways to reach a community and to uh, share the gospel is to start a church. It's one of the best evangelistic methods out there. Start a church. Um, I think that maybe we need to consider that as well. But they would say that churches uh, will, will have their own peaks and uh, valleys. But they say when a church reaches around 40, that it typically plateaus in growth and declines. And so being a Passover church that now is at the 43rd year, that is concerning to me. You know, well, I don't want that to be the case. Is there anything that can be done? And obviously, it can be done. Uh, you know, there's quite a few churches that are older than 40, uh, 43 years, and, and they are growing. But usually what happens is there has to be somewhat of a revisioning, revisioning uh, for a church. Uh, maybe it's born out of necessity, uh, where they go through a, a period of crisis, and they realize, wow, we've got to do some things different. Um, are, uh, for whatever reasons, there is a, a revisioning that has to take place. So, and to go back, why do we exist here as a church? And this is something more than just a sermon when we talk about revisioning. Uh, it is something in the fiber of who we are that we get it, we understand it. Uh, I'm going to be praying for that, and I have been praying for that, a revisioning of our church as to why we exist and to what we do here. And there are some things that God is uh, when, you, when we talk about revisioning, it's not a pleasant thing. It is a burdensome task to have a vision. And when we talk about revisioning, it, it is a, a, a burdening that's happening in my own heart. And perhaps uh, I believe if it's of the Holy Spirit, a burdening that's taking place in some of your hearts as well. Uh, and I want to be uh, presenting some of these things in, in near future 
of uh, things that's burning in my heart. But as I read Second Timothy one through uh, one through seven, this passage speaks to this need to revision. The fact of the matter is, there must be a fanning of the flame that has to happen in a church's life, that has to happen in your life. And I would argue that in every person, you are fanning a flame for something. I remember when I was in middle school, for whatever reasons, uh, I really got interested in surfing. Um, I had a surfboard, and uh, I started fanning the flame of surfing in middle school and in early high school. Something about moving to Appalachian State kind of deadened that flame a little bit. It doesn't burn well in the mountains and snow. Uh, but how did I feed that flame? I started thinking I, I would uh, subscribe to surfing magazines, and every time they come, I would, I would look at them, and I would put posters and make posters and, and put them all over the wall. And, and before long, I could only wear clothes that had certain labels that had some kind of surfing affinity to it. And I would uh, watch things uh, uh, on TV anytime I could. And I would use it in my imagination, just envision myself. Uh, and the thing was, is, you know, I lived in Raleigh. <laughs> so there's only so much surfing you can do. But it's funny, as I look back, how I would feed that flame. And then something else comes and you start feeding that flame for something else. And, and so I'm going to argue that every single person is fanning a flame for something in your life. Hopefully if you're married, you're fanning a flame in your marriage. You have to be intentional about it. Some of you are fanning a, a flame of, of healthy living. Some of you are fanning a flame of eating <laughs> And you think about your next meal constantly, and you got visions of it, and you're shopping for it, and you got coupons, and you're planning it all out. You're fanning that flame. Some of you are fanning a flame of, of work, of uh, maybe a certain dollar amount or house you're fanning and your decor. But there's always something you're fanning. You're you're keeping the spirit, the fervor for it in your life. So, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 1 through 7, I want to just argue that as a church and as a believer in Jesus Christ, it is ours to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And you're not going to find any TV shows emphasizing this. You're not going to find it in commercials. You're not going to find it in magazines exalting the, the life of being surrendered to the Spirit of God. So you can't count on media to do that for you. Media will oblige you most anything that involves money. But this isn't going to happen here. And so, Paul is in the situation where he's got a young man of Timothy, maybe in his, I say young man, he may be in his 30s to 40s. Uh, but Paul is at the end of his life. We've already read 1 Timothy together, if you've been with us the last few weeks. And now, a few years have passed. It's 2 Timothy time, he's, he's writing a letter, and, the, and Paul is in prison, writing from prison. And in fact, when he writes this, it, it could very well be uh, around 66 A.D., when he writes this, now just to know, Nero is the emperor. Uh, Rome 
was burned uh, around 64. And so he starts uh, what historians, Roman historians tell us is he starts putting the blame on the Christians to, to get it off himself. And so you see this rise in persecution that occurs. And so uh, Paul finds himself in prison. And it's around 68 where tradition tells us that he was beheaded. And so it's very likely that he writes this letter just a year or two before he himself dies. And he knows that it's coming. And so uh, he is preparing people to take his place. Timothy evidently is one of them that he sees uh, as a possibility of taking his place. And so it's a very personal letter, uh, more so than many other things that we'll read from Paul of his 13 letters. And so... Uh, he has this word of instruction to Timothy, and it does apply to the church, but primarily to a leader uh, like Timothy. And so, considering this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand and honor as we read together 2 Timothy 1, verse 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You may be seated. The main point of this passage is really to feed the flame of God's gift, or the Spirit, as he says in the next passage in verse 7. And I believe Paul is telling us why. Why should we make it our point to feed the flame of the Holy Spirit in your life? Okay? So, if I was to argue with you, you need to feed the flame of your marriage, the spirit of your marriage, I would give you some good reasons why to do that. fact is, you're going to have to live with them anyway, so you might as well have a good time. All right? Right? Co-heir of life, so you might as well have a good time. Feed that spirit. Now, this is one reason. All right, so now we're not talking about marriage. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, in relationship with him, okay? And so, uh, what is the reason? So, uh, it's interesting. If you look at verse 1, Paul is obviously talking about himself and, and, and giving a little bio of authority uh, as he's reminding Timothy of who he is. This is the authority I have in my life, an apostle of Christ Jesus, which means literally sent out. Uh, but I'm sent out according to God's will. Now, any will of man did this. I didn't do it. God brought me here according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting, we saw in 1 Timothy this idea of life that he brought out. Uh, and in fact, we saw uh, in, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 12 and, t- and verse 12 and verse 19, he talks about eternal life 
lay hold of eternal life and that we may know true life. All right. In verse 19. And so now he says that life, this eternal life, this true life, I am called an apostle according to the promise of that life that's in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to change some words around and, and contextualize it a little bit. Green Pines Church, Baptist Church, a church of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I love how that sounds. Think about that. We're not here because of any person. We're here because of God's will. And we will be here as long as God wills it. And as long as there's people surrendered to that will. As long as God wills it, and as long as there's people surrendered to that will. But notice, what are we here for? We're here according, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Why are we here? We're here because of God's will. What For what purpose? The gospel of life. That's why we're here. The promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Green Pines, we must exist to extend the life of God. Now, how do we extend the life of God? Not only do we proclaim God's word, but we live God's life. I shared with you before that we lay hold of eternal life. It's not just a a say that, oh, we're the people that are going to go to heaven when we die. That's not the idea alone. The idea is that we're the ones who know God who talk to God, who God speaks to us, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is and what He's done. The fact of the matter is, every single one here is an ordinary person filled with lies and pride, selfishness and sin, and you're listening to someone who's like that? We're all in that same boat together. We're not better than any person in Nightdale or in this world. We are the same as them. What's the difference? The only difference is that we came to knowledge and understanding of that, and we realized a need for that, and we went to a Savior, someone who claimed to could take care of the sin in our life, our sinfulness, and said that he can change out that sin and give us a new way of thinking, a new heart, a new life, and will forgive us of our sin. That's the only difference. And that has so enraptured us, so consumed our thinking, changed how we think, that we want to be together with other people who have had like experience. And we want to commit to one another to live by that eternal life and share that life with others. That's church. It's not just whether or not you're sitting in the right place at the right time, looking in the right way. And sometimes you can lose that thought of why we exist according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Which is why it's so important that that is prominent. That we commit together to be surrendered to the Spirit of God. That becomes a personal commitment as part of a church body. 
One of the things I tell folks as they join our church, as they're interested in joining our church, is that our primary lifestyle statement is that you surrender to God's Spirit. And I'm going to tell you that's a lot harder than whether or not you perform the external Ten Commandments and that you can impress everybody. We're not talking about your image. We're talking about who you are and that you surrender the Spirit of God. And as a church... It is ours to pray for one another, to form together underneath that commitment. So, Green Pines, a church of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. I want you just to think of someone that doesn't know the Lord. Put their name there. And wish them and pray for them that they would have grace mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. When you are discipling someone, and as a follower of Christ, you are a discipler, you are a trainer. As a trainer in Christ Jesus, we are to pray for those that we're training that they would have grace, mercy, and peace. We're going to talk about why that's important. Now, we keep on reading. And I think we're going to come across the first reason why we're to fan the flame of God's Spirit in our life. Verse 3, he's thinking about Timothy, and he says, I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly, my prayers night and day. And so what he's saying is that, Timothy, you are constantly on my mind, and every time you come to my mind, you go up in prayer to the Lord. What a great encouragement. What is it? Is anyone doing that in your life? Are you doing that for anyone? When, when someone comes to your mind, always season it with prayer for them. Always. And you know what? Guess what? When someone really irritates you, guess what happens? You think about them a lot, don't you? And it bugs you. Pray for them. Every time a person comes to your mind, pray for them. Make that resolve and say, God, Holy Spirit, will you help me to be an intercessor, to be a prayer that when people come to mind, that I will do that. You cannot, you cannot pray for everything. You realize that? You cannot pray for everything that comes your way. But you can pray for everything that comes to your mind. And you ask the Holy Spirit, bring it to my mind that I may pray. And so that was Paul's mindset, and that's what he did with Timothy. So night and day, as, as his, the thought came to him, he would pray for Timothy. But notice what Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as, as did my ancestors. He said, you know, the ones who went before me served God, loved God, l- learned to look to Him in faith, and learned to look to Him for, for salvation. He says, I look back and how these have gone before me, and I want to do the same thing. I want to do the same thing. He kind of brings that same idea to Timothy in verse 5. And he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. We we learn in Acts that uh, his mother married a Greek. Evidently, either he died or he was not a believer. He's never mentioned outside of that. And so when Paul mentions the faith of Timothy, he refers to a mom and a grandmom. All right? Grandparents, your job's not over. Your job's not, you know when your job's over? When you stop beating your heart. As long as your heart's beating, you've got a job. And so 
uh, here Timothy is being formed by a grandmother and by a mom who evidently was singular with the, with the grandma in the faith of the children. Some of you are single parents and you're wondering, oh my goodness, this is just getting crazy. I need someone else really in my life to help uh, establish peace here. Listen, just because you can't do it all doesn't mean you should stop doing the things you know you can do. And it's amazing. God knows the situation you're in. When you submit what you do, how God will multiply that. Evidently, it multiplied in Timothy's life to where he is a, a, a church planner with Paul. And so he says, remember Timothy, remember the ones who've gone before you? And so here's what I just want to present, present to you. It is important for us today, this generation of green pines, for us to feed the flame of God's spirit in our lives because of those who've gone before us. Because of our predecessors, we feed the flame of God's spirit. Because of our predecessors. You've heard already record of some who were here and the things they shared. I encourage you to sit down and talk with one of them. And just ask them, tell me about what it was like. Why did you come here? Why did Green Pine start? And hear what they have to say. Because of those who've gone before us. The predecessors of Green Pines, we are to feed the flame of God's Spirit. But as we keep on reading, he, he says in verse 4, he has this recollection. He says, I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. It's never given exactly what Paul was thinking about when he remembers the tears of Timothy. Uh, some folks say, well, it must be some departure um, that they have had, and, and it could be, it just doesn't say, or could be what is prominent on Paul's mind in this text is, is some occasion where they had a, a church worship and there was a laying down of hands of, on Timothy uh, and a prophecy that was, was gone, done in the Spirit of God. Uh, it could be that that was what was in his thinking. We don't know, but for whatever reasons, uh, there is a tenderness of Timothy there uh, of tears. And notice what Paul says, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Listen, one of the reasons we come together as a church body is that the joy of someone else in Christ helps my joy. The joy of another believer in Christ helps my joy. And my joy in Christ is to help someone else. Never, when you have the joy of the Lord and you've got the assurance of God working in your life, you've got the promises in hand that is lifting you up in hope, share it with others. Some things you can't be introverted about. Some things you can't keep in a shell. People need your joy in the Lord. And so there's this interdependence that occurs even over a distance between Paul and Timothy. He says, I want to see you that I can be filled with joy. And then verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And so not only is the predecessor, the predecessor of, of faith here important in the feeding of the flames, but also the sincerity, the sincerity of Timothy's faith is why is important to feed the flames, the sincerity of the faith. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That means uh, without hypocrisy, literally, is, is, the, is the idea. Without hypocrisy. And that I'm sure dwells in you as well. It is important that 
It's not just mama's faith, not just grandma's faith. Paul's saying, Timothy, it's yours too. It's yours. I remember growing up being a, a, a pastor's son. It was inevitable, as I hear now, uh, folks do to Evan, uh, not yet Canaan for some reason, um, but they would come up to me and say, are you going to be a pastor like you did? Are you going you gonna to walk in your father's footsteps? I mean, that's a, people always do that. Um, and there's a part of me that said when I was young, yeah, I'd like to be like dad. And there's a part of me when I was a teenager, like, there's no way. <laughs> no way. And now, every once in a while, it still comes up. And here's the thing. Yeah, I'm following in my father's footsteps. But it's not my biological dad. It's what God is doing. It is important that it's not just your parents' faith. It's your faith. Yours that you believe. And because it is yours that you believe, you don't want to just let it put it on a shelf. It is something that, that needs to be fanned in your life. The Spirit of God at work. Do you believe that when you trust in God as your Savior, that the Spirit, a Spirit of God actually indwells and becomes part of you? Do you believe that there is a fundamental difference within your nature that occurs simply because you trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord? If that's true, that's no small thing. That's not a hobby. You don't, you don't treat a heavenly, divine spirit working in you as a hobby. That's all-consuming. Fan the flame of God's spirit. Because the sincerity of faith, because the, the, the predecessors of your faith. But as we keep on reading, we're going to find another reason. And so he says, look, I, I believe... In verse, um, verse 5 and 6, he says, I believe that it's in you. I believe it dwells in you. In verse 6, for this reason, because it's sincere, because it's come before you and your predecessors, for this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, here's the third reason why it's important to fan the flame. The necessity. The necessity of faith. Here's the thing. Why do you have to fan a flame? Because the flame goes out. There must be a maintenance that happens in your life. Same, that's why I said with the marriage. You know, if you're going to live with them the rest of your life, you might as well have a good time. Because too many times... Folks just live together. It's not intentional feeding the flame of the marriage. In your relationship with the Lord, it can, the Spirit of God can be quenched. It's the word of God says that. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And I think this is, is another way of saying it, is, is, is a positive way of saying it, is you've got to feed the flame. I think about how I got consumed about surfing and just reading about it and just my imagination was just filled with these things. And, and so, you know, you can't put spirit, a poster to the Holy Spirit on it. Mean, it's just like, you know, you can't do that. But you can be driven 
that when you wake up and when you go to bed, say, I want to know more about God's spirit work in my life. I want to know more of who God is. I want to see God at work in me. I want to see God work around me. In fact, I don't want to die unless I see God. Listen, you know, one of the things I prayed for this morning, and this is something that churches too often too often look over. I don't want us to be together in worship without sensing and knowing God's Spirit in us. Are we praying that? Listen, God will answer prayer. If you're not praying that, don't be surprised if there's no presence of God in a body. Let's, let's just pray right now. Father, we're yours. We're your people. And Lord, we're here for the purpose of worship, of gathering together to hear your word. Some of us need to have our flames fed. Some of us need to be encouraged. Some of us need to be confronted and rebuked, challenged. But God, None of this can happen apart from you. And what's the point of singing together, point of reading your word, if we don't know that you're here? God, we, as your people, ask for your presence to be known. We believe that you're here. And Lord, I believe that you want to be here in a very real way, a very powerful way. You want your presence known here more than we want to know it. That's your grace. God, give us a hunger for you. Give us a thirst for you. As a church, individually and collectively, went together, that this thirst can work off of one another. And Lord, satisfy our thirst in you. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. God hears our prayer. Here's our prayer. And my question is, are we praying that? Are we asking that? Fan the flame. Because the necessity of it. Now, I would just argue with you that the fanning you do is actually God's work in you. You think, well, is God limited by what I do or don't do? Listen... When you fan the flame, is actually God's grace at work in your life. Interesting, when you read the Word of God and read Paul's letters, you notice, remember how it started? Verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace to you, mercy to you, peace to you. Most all of his letters usually start with that. This is a standard salutation. Interesting enough, when you read the end of it, in all of his letters, he says, grace with you. Grace with you. Why did, and in every single one of his letters, he started off with some form of grace to you, and at the end, grace with you. Could very well be that Paul believes that in the very reading and hearing of the word was a means of grace to you. Grace with you. Reading God's word with God's spirit is a form of God's grace coming to us. So when you have the assurance of God's word in your life, who did that? You or God? 
Yes. Yes. It was the grace of God working through you and through your actions. But with it comes a desire. A desire to do it. A desire to worship. A desire to pray. A desire to conform, to submit to what you read. And to live it out in your life. And so, the necessity of this. And the fact is, is that if... if this is not once a week that you do this. This is a daily thing of saying, God, this day I want to feed the flame, I want to fan the flame of your Holy Spirit at work in my life. That's why we go to God's Word, because I need it. Because here's the thing, there is all kinds of passing desires. There is billions of dollars spent for you to flame and to thirst after things. It's called commercials, promotions, billboards, TV shows. Internet, word of mouth, all working at getting your heart to get your excitement, your enthusiasm, your joy. And we're thinking, well, you know, I just go to church and I'm, I'm going to have a hunger for the Lord. If church is a it, it's not sufficient for you to have a hunger for the Lord. There must be, in your own daily life, what do you seek out for encouragement, for inspiration, for hope, for comfort, consolation? What do you seek out? Seek the Spirit of God. Fan the flame. The necessity of it. As we keep on reading, we're going to find something else. And so we've seen the the predecessor of our faith, the sincerity of our faith demands that we that we fan the flame. And then the necessity, the fact that it needs it to happen. We need to fan the flame. But then, so we keep on reading in verse 8. Look at the, the quality of what we have. For this reason, I remind you, I remind you and to fan that word, fan is present tense, keep on doing it, fan, fan into flame the gift of God, for, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And I don't think there was something mystical about that. I think it was a, a time of church where they were affirming and God's working through the Holy Spirit through prophecy in Paul's life, uh, uh, just making known what was there. And then verse 7. Why, why fan the flame? For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Why do we fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in our life? Because of who the Holy Spirit, what he does in our life. I want that. I don't want more fear in my life. I don't wake up and say, maybe by the end of the day I'll be more afraid than when I woke up. No one, no one thinks that way. But we do say things like, I want to be more loving. I want to have the power of God in my life. I want, I want to have that, that influence. I, I want to have discipline, self-control. What the Spirit of God, yeah, i share with you, why is it that we fan the flame of marriage? Because you're going to be with them for the rest of your life, you know? Might as well have a good time. Well, and what the marriage brings to you. Well, why fan the flame of the Holy Spirit? Because what the Holy Spirit brings to you. First of all, understand, for God gives us the Spirit not of fear. There are times in your life where fear can grip you. But the Spirit of God can come in and drive away the fear. I remember the first time I really experienced that. A number of years ago. I found myself in need of a colonoscopy. 
And I was not wanting any part of that. You know, that was maybe uh, 10, 12 years ago. You know, here I am thinking myself fairly young, uh, real young children. I'm thinking, you know, I start looking up as to why you need a colonoscopy. And I'm thinking, oh, nothing good online here. And I remember just getting scared and afraid. Have you been there? Well, it's just like you can't think. And all you, all you think of is just bad stuff happening. You, you've seen that. It's a wave of panic that hits you. Sometimes it's done with a doctor's call. Sometimes it's done with a police call. Sometimes it's done with a call from your boss. Many reasons why it could happen. But then somewhere along the way, as I'm just wrestling with this fear, this thought occurs to me. Wait a second, what what do I believe? I mean, what do I really believe? If I really believe that there is a Savior, that there's a Spirit of God, that there's a resurrection, that there is eternal life that begins with God now and goes on after I die, if I really believe that God's grace is sufficient for me, not for me alone, but for my family and those I'm responsible for, if I really believe these things and that there is a joy in Christ and that in this this circumstance I actually might learn more of Christ and I might learn to be more conformed to Him, that I might know more of God's blessing, if I really believe that thing, then, you know what, fear gets cast away and there is instead a replacing peace unexplainable that he has promised for all who cast their cares upon him with thanksgiving and supplication a peace of God that reigns in your heart through Christ Jesus our Lord fear can be pushed away by God's spirit We are living in a time where people will speak in a very public format God's word, do so with grace and skill and love, and still get ostracized, pushed around, made to look like bigots, and say they are right-wing fanatics on the par of terrorism. That's the day we live in. And it has increased. And the last year, certainly the last few years, the trend is that direction. And it's going to grow. I don't have anything that tells me it's not going to grow worse and worse. That if you say that you are a Christian that actually believes in the Bible, that believes in a sin that there is such a sin and that we are in rebellion to God and that do, people do go to hell and that's why we need a Savior. If you believe that, you will be automatically labeled as an idiot, a moron, not to be listened to or influenced. Please don't give them any, any influence in our society. And let's punish them as best we can. That's the world we live in. That's the country we live in. And it's going to get worse. But I want to share with you that it is in adverse climates, adverse political climates to the Christian faith when the Christian faith does the best. 
It is in the place of opposition that you learn that God's spirit is not one of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. We have never been able to know that when everybody's going along and applauding Christian faith. We don't have to depend on the Holy Spirit. And it's done to our own weakness and shame. I have all kinds of optimism and hope about what's going to happen for the next few years. But it's not because it's a future apart from the prison. I have all kinds of optimism and hope, but it's not because it's a future filled with financial blessings and influence. It is an optimism of hope because I think that Christ will be able to shine like He's never shined before through His people. And that is what is needed the most. It is a spirit, not a fear. But God has given us a spirit of power. Listen, listen, when those days come, if we're so infatuated with our retirement, with our house, with our car, with sports, don't think that our flame is going to be very bright. When things of adversity come, and all we've been feeding are lifeless things, we don't have much strength to step up. And be who God's called us to be. Church, I have all kinds of hope in Green Pines Baptist Church, but it's not because of you and it's not because of me. It's because of the Holy Spirit. Which means that I and we need to spend time seeking the Spirit's work in our life, personally, and praying for it corporately in our body. Put the resources there and prayer and hope and trust in what the Lord will do. God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. To be able in the face of people saying bad things about Christians and the and the in the face of, of having to deal with bitterness of others, to say, I do not have to be bitter. I don't have to speak the same way. I can speak with love. I can put the need of someone else above my own. It is the spirit of a Stephen that as he's being stoned, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what's going on. They're not even aware. It's the spirit of love. A spirit of self-control to say that we're not governed by every whim that crosses our mind that's what dogs do that's what animals do i was just marveling at we've got kittens and i'm just marveling at how a mother cat instinctively knows how to take care of a kitten even when that mother cat was separated early on and didn't have a mother cat doing some of the things that this mother cat's doing and i'm thinking how did that how does that mother cat learn that i know for a fact that i didn't have a mama cat teaching them or teaching her this. How does it, it just instinctively know? We are governed not by instinct. We're governed by a spiritual instinct. The Holy Spirit of God at work. And so we don't succumb to just everything that comes our mind. Oh, this feels good. I'm going to do that. Oh, this would make me happy. I'm going to do this. No, it's this will glorify God. This is what gives me greatest joy that I can trust in and I can see Christ at work. That's the drive. 
Interesting as you keep on reading what Paul says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And he goes on talking about what Jesus did. Why, why is it important for Timothy to fan the flame? Green pines, why is it important for us to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit in our life daily? Well, we've shared already because of our predecessors, predecessors of our faith, the sincerity of our faith. This is the real deal. This is God at work. It's God. Not just some passing thing. Well, we also uh, seen the necessity. If we don't fan the flame, we grow cold. And then the quality of our faith, the quality of God's spirit. That is not fearful. It brings love. It brings power. It brings a sound mind. But what is the end? Why? Why? What, what, for what purposes are we going to fan the flame? What great things? Is it so that, that uh, oh, the church can multiply and make new churches? And I pray so, yes, that's good. But that's not the end, according to this passage. Is it, is it so that Nightdale can be changed in Christ-likeness, that there can be an a, um, uh, influence that's counter to the world? Yeah, that'd be great. We'll pray for that. But what does the text say? Well, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Um, yeah, okay, isn't there another clause we can bring out? <laughs> Why fan this flame? That there would be no shame in Jesus. But instead of cowing down and cowering away, being unashamed, courageous, even to be suffering by the power of God for the gospel's sake. Forty-three years and counting till the Lord returns or this church is wiped out. Let it not be because the embers were scattered and we just grew cold. Let it be because the Lord came back or this church was wiped out. What do I mean by wiped out? That we became so loving and radical in our love that we became so hot for the Lord that we did not care what society said. So society said, let's kill the voice. Let it be wiped out or the Lord comes back. But not let it be because we grew cold. And the difference will be what you do each day by the grace of God. Why is it such a big deal that we get so Warped by a TV show and so caught up by it or so caught up in the, the latest trend. Let me tell you what's at stake. The flame of God's spirit. Don't let anything overshadow it. One by one, individual by individual, growing cold makes it hard for another ember to stay hot. 
But the best thing to get another ember hot is to put another hot ember next to it. And fan. 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 What are you feeding in your life today? If you want to have power, love, sound mind to the point of being courageous even in the face of suffering as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you want that, you would only want that because you want Jesus. But if you want that, feed, fan, feed, and fan, feed and fan the flame of God's Spirit's work in your life every day. And when we sing, as that song said, Sing as you've never sung before. Why not? What are you saving your voice for? Why not? Sing as you've never sung before. Worship as you've never done before. But don't be lukewarm. Let's pray.